0: Every morning, I get up with the girls and we sit down over breakfast and have Bible study. We call it Bible study for breakfast. That's pretty original, right? I came up with that, if you're impressed. And uh, during this time, we uh, have a number of things that we do each and every morning. I do memory, I, I have some memory work that I have. For them to do, and I have a Theology for Kids book that's really good, and I take them through a Bible story, and then we end with a time of prayer. We do this, we did this this morning, we do it each and every morning, and it's just an enjoyable time that I have with our girls. And during their time of prayer, I've been teaching both Ava and Edie about the importance of confessing their sin before God, and believe me when I say they have plenty to confess each and every morning and uh, as each of them pray and confess their sins to God they will they will always ask that God would would help them with their behavior they'll pray that God would help help them to behave properly. They will pray that God help them be better and do better and and act better. Edie will say this. She'll say, help me God to to never act bad and be mean ever again. She'll say, help me to always be good and to never be bad. And both of them will pray this way for themselves and, and for each other. The other day, Edie was uh, thanking God for all the people of the world. She does that a lot. And uh, she said this, and I quote, she says, God help all the people of the world to be good and never be mean ever again. Pretty optimistic, isn't she? And though we think that's that's funny, we, we often pray this way, don't we? For ourselves and for others. When we pray for God to help us spiritually, we pray that he would help us improve our behavior and the behavior of our brothers and sisters in Christ, which is not a bad thing to pray. We can find that scripturally, right? But let me ask you this. Instead of praying for the right actions, have you you ever prayed for God to give you a right way of thinking? Instead of praying for good behavior, have you ever prayed that God would give you sound doctrine? If you have your Bibles, turn to Ephesians 1 continuing our sermon series through Ephesians this morning. And today, we're going to examine a prayer of Paul's for the Christians in his day. And and we're told that this is a prayer that Paul prayed continuously, without ceasing. And in this prayer, Paul does not mention one thing about godly actions. Not one time. Not one thing about proper behavior, but instead he prays that the Christians of his day would be correct in their thinking, that they would be sound doctrinally. So what I want to do for the rest of the morning is examine this prayer, and my hope is that we would leave here today with a better understanding of how we are to pray for ourselves and how we're to pray for our brothers and sisters in Christ. So Ephesians chapter 1, we're going to be looking at verses 15 through 23 this morning. And in today's passage, after giving us great motivation... For why we should walk worthy, which is what we discussed last week, Paul records a prayer that he prays for the Christians of his day. And again, this prayer is very unique, yet it fits nicely here in the first half of the book because it addresses knowing over doing. Remember when I introduced the book to you, I told you that Ephesians, it divides up nicely. In chapters 1 through 3, Paul focuses upon doctrine, what we as believers know. And then chapters 4 through 6, his focus is upon practice, what we as believers do. Knowing in the first half, doing in the second half. So this prayer here, it fits nicely. In this book, because it's in the first half of the book and in this prayer, Paul is focusing more on knowing than doing. Look at verses 15 through 16. Paul says this He says, For this reason, because I have heard your faith in the Lord Jesus and your love toward all the saints, I do not cease to give thanks for you, remembering you in my prayers. So, Paul here is writing this letter to the saints. He's writing to believers here. And the reason we know that is because in the first part of this book, he says that this this book is written to the saints. And then here, notice what he says. Paul says, I have heard of your great faith in the Lord Jesus and your love for one another. These fruits that Paul mentions here, they're, they're fruits of a true follower of Christ, are they not? Faith in Christ Love for one another, they're they're fruits that come from true followers of Christ. Paul says, for this reason, because I'm writing to the saints here, because of your great faith in Christ and your great love for one another, I never stop giving thanks for you, always remembering you in my prayers. Now remember, Paul's in prison. And he's writing this letter from prison. I'm sure he had a lot of time to think on the work these believers were doing for Christ and a a lot of time to reflect and give thanks for his fellow laborers in the faith. And for the rest of this passage here in chapter 1, Paul lets us in on what he's praying for them and lets them know what he is praying for them. Look at verse 17, 18. Paul says this. He says, I pray that the God of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of glory, may give you the spirit of wisdom and of revelation in the knowledge of him, having the eyes of your hearts enlightened, that you may do. Is that what he says? No. That you may know. Let's stop there for a minute. Notice here what Paul prays. He says, my prayer for you, my prayer every time you come to mind is that God would give you the spirit of wisdom and of the revelation in the knowledge of him. He's saying, I'm praying here that God would give you wisdom. I'm praying that God would reveal himself to you. I'm praying that your hearts would be enlightened. I'm praying that you would know. Are you picking up on a theme here? What's the essence of Paul's prayer? Paul is not praying that they would demonstrate godly behavior. He's not praying that they would conduct themselves in a God-honoring way. He's praying that they would be sound in mind. That they would be sound doctrinally. Paul is praying for their minds. He's praying that God would give them biblical insight. He's praying that God would give them a spirit of wisdom and reveal to them what is true of Him. He's praying that they'd be sound doctrinally. He's praying that they would know. Think about how different this is from the way we normally pray. When we pray, we pray for action, don't we? We pray like my girls pray Father, help me to obey, change my behavior. Live in and through me. Help me to live more like this and less like that. Help my children to do this and not do that. And again, that's not a bad thing. But we have a tendency to only pray in this way. But notice Paul doesn't do that here. He says, my prayer for you believers is that you would be enlightened. My prayer is for God to give you a spirit of wisdom. My prayer is that he would reveal to you what is true of him. Now, why does Paul pray in this way? Why does he pray for them to know rather than to do? Well, we've talked about this a bit already, haven't we? And it's a theme that, and and this is a principle that we'll return to time and time again in this book. The reason Paul focuses first on knowing instead of doing is because he knows that godly behavior stems from godly thinking. He knows that if believers are going to be faithful in practice, they must first be sound in doctrine. He knows that if believers do not internalize who God is and what he's done for them, then they will not personify it. Then they will fail to embody it. He knows that living rightly for God must begin with thinking rightly about him. Right thinking must precede right living. Paul understood this. This is why he prays what he does here in the beginning of this book. He knows that if our minds don't change, get this, neither will our actions. Our actions will never change apart from our minds. That's why Paul's praying for their hearts to be opened. There's a praise song that we we know, a classic praise song that that many of you know and and sing on occasion. It's called Open the Eyes of My Heart. It's what Paul's praying for here. He's praying for the eyes of their hearts to be opened and enlightened. He's praying that, that, that we believers would know with our minds and our hearts all that God has done for us. And in the following verses... There are three particular things that Paul prays that we, his readers, know when it comes to what God has done for us. And we're going to spend the rest of our morning focusing in on these three particular things. And if you're here this morning and you struggle with how to pray for yourself and how to pray for others, I I encourage you here to listen to this prayer and use this prayer you know the prayers are recorded for us in scripture for us for us to use remember jesus told his disciples he said when you pray pray like this and then what did he pray he prayed the lord's prayer right well paul's prayer here can be used as a model for you and for me on how we are to pray for ourselves and for others notice first that Paul prays that we would have, believers, a knowledge of what God will do for us. A knowledge of what God will do. To walk in a manner worthy of the calling to which you've been called, we need God to, to show us. We need to know what God is going to do for us in the future. Look at verse 18. Paul says this, having the eyes of your hearts enlightened, that you may know what is the hope to which he has called you. Let's stop there. Notice what Paul prays for here. He prays that they would know the hope to which God has called them. The word hope here, it points us to the future. Paul is looking to the future as he prays for the Christians of his day and his greater Christian audience, which is us here. And he prays that we would know and have confidence in this future work that God is going to do for his people. Now, what is this this future work? Paul's talking about here. We talked a bit about it last week, didn't we? In verses 13 and 14 of Ephesians 1, and this is just kind of a, a continuation of those verses. Notice what he says. Paul says in verses 13 and 14, look back at those verses. He says... You were sealed, believers, with the promised Holy Spirit who is the guarantee of our inheritance until we acquire possession of it to the praise of His glory. Remember last week, we talked about the fact that though we have been blessed in Christ, believers, with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places, though it's ours, though it's in the bank, we have yet to experience all the benefits that are ours in Christ, but we will one day, right? we will there's coming a day when we who are trusting in christ will be made complete in him there is coming a day when when we're going to be like christ when we see him as he is there's coming a day when the consequences of living in a fallen sin-stained world are going to be undone it's coming a day when not only us but the world in which we live will be made right again. And there's going to be no more suffering and sickness and pain and death. And the fact that we have been sealed, believers, by the Holy Spirit is our guarantee that we're going to experience these benefits one day in the future when Christ returns. And Paul is, is praying here in Ephesians 1.18. He's saying, my prayer, believers, is that you would know that. That you would know this. My prayer is that you would know of this inheritance that you have because you've been sealed with the Holy Spirit. My prayer, believers, is that you would know that it's guaranteed. Do you know that in your heart of hearts? Do you? Paul says, my prayer is that your heart would be opened and enlightened to the fact that this inheritance is yours. Look at verse 18. Having the eyes of your hearts enlightened, Paul's praying here for us believers, that you may know what is the hope to which he has called you, what are the riches of his glorious inheritance in the saints. Again, Paul's praying here that, that, that we would know this hope that we have in Christ. Now notice something very interesting here. Look back in Ephesians 1.14. Notice he refers to it as our inheritance but then look at chapter 1, verse 18. He refers to it as his inheritance. God's inheritance. Isn't that interesting? What does he mean by this? What is God's inheritance? We talked about what we will inherit last week, and just a moment ago, we talked about it. But what is God's inheritance? Look at the very end of verse 18. This is great. God's inheritance is the saints. How about that? We are God's inheritance. Let that sink deep for a moment. Get this. Paul says here in this passage, we have a future inheritance, but get this, so does God. Our inheritance is that we will one day be made complete and will live in the presence of God for all eternity. And God's inheritance will be that he will have us In his presence, complete, whole, and perfect forever. And Paul is saying, though we're not yet there, there is coming a day when we will live in the presence of God and we will have him and he will have us forever. Believers, how many of you live with the mentality that you are God's inheritance? Be honest with me. How many of you think of yourselves as a glorious and rich inheritance? You are. Scripture tells us that we are here. And listen, there's coming a day when you're going to truly know and experience what it's like to truly be loved and valued. Because you're going to see how God loves and values you. You know what Paul's praying for here? He's saying, I I pray you would get a glimpse of that now, today. He's saying, I pray that you would know today how loved and how treasured and how valued and how esteemed and how honored you are by God. Now, of course, Paul goes on to explain in Ephesians that it's it's not because of us that that we're so valued. It's nothing special in us, but it's the way God made us. God created us in His image. He saved us for His purposes and He is right now at present transforming us into the image of His Son. And of course that's the reason why we are are valued the way that we are. Now we have people in our world today, we have people in this church right now who are hurting. Many of you are experiencing hurt right now because of what you've experienced in the past because those who were meant to love you the most rejected you, turned you away. Maybe you've been rejected by a, a, a spouse or by a mom or a dad or, a, or another sibling, and that pain that you experienced by that, through that rejection, it's left, it's left deep scars and has affected the way you view yourselves. There's a band, and it was around when I was in high school. It was called Everclear, and they had a popular song title Father of Mine and it's about this guy's writing about being abandoned by his father and over and over again in the song he says my daddy gave me a name then he walked away many of us know how that feels that, that, that hits very close to home to many of you believers if this is you if you're in this boat let this encourage you this morning this is my prayer for you This is what Paul prayed for the Christians of his day. And this is my prayer for you today, that you would know how God views you. You would know that there is coming a day when we're going to see things clearly. We're going to come to the point where we truly see and understand and experience God's love. There's coming a day when the veil is going to be pulled back, folks, and we're going to see the Lord as he is, and and then we will have a true understanding of God's great love. Then and only then will we truly know what love is when we see God for who he is and the fact that he loves and, and values us in light of who he is. And we're going to see him for who he is. We're going to see ourselves and have a better understanding of ourselves in that day and see how loved and favored we are by God and we're going to be driven to our knees and moved to worship. How great will that be? Paul says, I pray you get a glimpse of that now. That's what we need to be praying for one another. That's my prayer for you. That needs to be your prayer for yourself and your prayer for your brothers and sisters in Christ. Though right now we see through a mirror darkly as Paul says in 1 Corinthians as we grow in godliness, as we mature in our our knowledge of God and mature in our knowledge of the work that that He has accomplished for us in this life, our understanding of His great love and acceptance it improves. Believers, when we come to understand how much God loves and, and values and cherishes us, when we come to understand that we are God's glorious inheritance whom he chose whom he predestined whom he saved and sealed when we know that when that truth sinks in it's a game changer it is it's a game changer it changes the way we live for God in a good way in a God-honoring way this mentality it moves us to walk worthy There's a second thing Paul prays for in this passage. Not only does he pray that we'd have a knowledge of what God is going to do for us in the future, but he also prays that we would have a knowledge of what God has done for us in the past. A knowledge of what God has done. Paul says this, I pray that you would know, verse 19... What is the immeasurable greatness of his power toward us who believe according to the working of his great might? Notice here, Paul is praying that believers, the believers of his day, and us as greater Christian audience, would know the power of God. And in the following verses, he goes on to give his readers one of the best examples of God's great power. Look at it, verse 20 through 22. He says that he worked in Christ when he raised him from the dead and seated him at his right hand in the heavenly places, far above all rule and authority and power and dominion and above every name that is named, not only in this age, but also in the one to come. And he put all things under his feet. Wow, what a passage. Here is the example that Paul gives from the past of God's great power. You ready for it? He says, God has demonstrated his great power in the resurrection and in the ascension and in the exaltation of his son, the Lord Jesus. Scripture teaches, it's clear that there was a time when God the Son stepped out of eternity and into history And we learned that was a huge step down for him. Paul tells us that in Philippians. He took a huge step down for us by taking on flesh and living among us. It's what many theologians refer to as the humiliation of Christ. Because it was a humbling thing for God the Son to become one of us, which should humble us, right? Yeah. And that humiliation that Christ experienced, it was progressive. It starts with the Incarnation that was a big step down and then the suffering he endured in this life that was another step down and then he died that was another step down and then he was buried which is the bottom that is the most humiliated Christ becomes in his earthly ministry at his burial and we learn in scripture that he does this for us right but scripture also teaches that Christ doesn't remain in that humble state does he After the humiliation of Christ is complete, we have what is called the exaltation of Christ. And this too is progressive. It starts with his resurrection. We're told three days after Christ hits bottom, three days after laying his life down, giving his life up, and being buried, shortly after that the Father raises him to life. And shortly after that, after appearing to many of his followers and giving some final instructions, Christ ascends to heaven, which is the next step up in that progressive exaltation. Then we're told here, in Ephesians chapter 1 and elsewhere, that the Father then seats Christ at his right hand in the heavenly places far above all rule and all power and all dominion and all authority and above every name that is named not only in this age paul says but in the age to come and and god the father has put all things under the feet of his son and paul says all that he gives us all that to share with us what he's praying for us he's saying here he, he he says all that to make this point he says My prayer for you is that you would know this, that you would know this work, that you would know the great and powerful work that God has done for you in the past by sending his son to die for you and by raising him to life and by sitting him at his right hand and putting all things under his feet. He says, I'm reminding you of this great work of God so that you'll have great confidence in God in the present and hope for the future. Folks, I've said this time and time again in here, but I need to say it time and time again. Everything in our Christian life, it hinges on the finished work of Christ. It does. It's said in the past, if, if Christ was not God and did not give his life as payment for ours, and if he has not been raised, then we should walk out these doors right now, lock it up, never return. We should. But if this is true, if these events did happen, if Christ is God and has given his life for us and has been raised, then we should, that that he should be the the central focus of our lives. He should be our central object of worship. He should be our, our central reason for living. Believers, scripture teaches this. Teaches that God sent Christ That Christ came willingly and lived for us and died for us and was raised for us and has been seated at God's right hand. For us and scripture teaches that God has placed everything under his feet and has given all authority over to him and because that's the case because God has orchestrated this great work because he has accomplished this great work by his great power through his great son we can have great confidence today and be hopeful for the future and all the promises that we have from God and trust that they will be fulfilled. So believers, I want you to make this your prayer today. Your prayer for yourself, your prayer for your Christian brothers and sisters in Christ. Pray this. Pray that God would help you and help them to know this great work that God has accomplished for his people. Pray that God bring this to your minds. Pray that God bring this to their minds. Pray that he would open and enlighten our hearts so that we know all that God has done for us in the past so that we'll be confident in the present and hopeful for the future no matter what happens. So in order to walk worthy of the calling to which we've been called, we need to have a knowledge of what God will do in the future, a knowledge of what he has done in the past and we need to also know what God is doing right now at present for us which brings us to our third and final point we need to have a knowledge of what God is doing for us at present look at verse 19 again and what is the immeasurable greatness of his power toward us who believe according to the working of his great might Paul says here this is my prayer For you, believers, this is my prayer. My prayer is that you would know the greatness of God's power that is in you right now and working for you right now. That's my prayer, that you would know that you have this power in you at present and that's working for you right now at present. Now, what is this power that Paul talks about here? Well, look at verse 20. He tells us, This is the same power that God demonstrated as he raised Christ from the dead. Wow. He's talking about resurrection power. That's what he's talking about. He's saying, I pray that you believers know that right now, at present, you have resurrection power in you. He's making the point here. That the same power that raised Christ up from the grave is the same power that's in us, believers. In the last two verses of this chapter, Paul talks a bit more about this power. He says, and he has put all things under his feet and gave him his head over all things to the church, which is his body, the fullness of him who fills all in all. Here's what Paul's saying here. Paul is saying that God the Father has put all things under Jesus' feet, right? He's put all things under the authority of Jesus. And then God the Father has taken Jesus, who has all power, and has given him to us, church. Wow. Paul is telling the believers of his day, and us as greater Christian audience, I pray that you would know you have this power because you have Christ who has all power. Now notice, he doesn't pray for them to receive this power. They have it. They don't have to go and attain it. They have it. He just prays that they know they have it. Now we know that we would have it in Christ. Paul says it's yours, and my prayer is that you would know that it's yours. In Philippians 3.10, remember, Paul shared this was his desire for himself. Do you remember that? He says, my desire is that I may know him know Christ and what the power of his resurrection and now Paul in turn is praying for the Christians of his day and he's saying I pray that you would know him and the power of his resurrection he also told his his audience in Romans the spirit that raised Christ from the grave is the same spirit that is in you think about that believers If you have given your life over to the Lord and are trusting in Him for your salvation, then Scripture is clear that you have the Spirit of God indwelling you and that He is keeping you secure in Christ. And because you're in Christ and because you have the Spirit of God in you, the same power that raised Christ from the dead is the same power at work in you. Paul prays here in the book of Ephesians that we would know that we have access to and possess this power. Now, what is this resurrection power that Paul talks about here time and time again? We know we have it. We know where it comes from. But what is it? Is it the ability to physically raise people from the dead like Jesus did with Lazarus? Many believe that's what he's talking about here. But the problem is they don't read it in the context in which it was written. You see, when you read the context of Ephesians, you learn exactly what Paul's talking about. Later on in his writing, he tells us, flip over to our key verse, Ephesians 4 verse 1. Listen to what Paul says here. He says, therefore, in light of all of these things that God has done for you, in light of who you are in Christ, walk in a manner worthy of the calling to which you've been called. That's resurrection power. The ability to walk worthy. It's the ability for us believers to walk in newness of life. It's the ability for us to put off the old man and put on the new, as Paul says in Ephesians 4. It's the ability to resist sin and live for God. It's the power that God works in us that we're to work out. And Paul is praying here in Ephesians 1 that the Christians of his day and we as greater Christian audience would know that we possess this kind of power, that it's ours for the taking, and he prays that we would live in this reality, and that's my prayer for you. And that needs to be your prayer for yourself. And that needs to be your prayer for others as well. That we would come to understand that the power that raised Christ is in us. And that that would move us to walk worthy for God. Paul says, I, I pray that you would know that you have this power in you at present and you would live in that reality and walk in a manner worthy of the calling to which you've been called. Maybe you're here this morning and you, if you're being honest, you can honestly say that this prayer does not apply to you. Maybe God, through His Spirit, He's shown you that this morning because you've yet to receive the salvation that He has freely given. You've yet to receive receive these blessings that have been made available to Christ because you're not trusting in him for your salvation. But you can honestly say right here, right now, this morning, for the first time in your life, you want to have and experience these blessings. You want to know these blessings personally. You want the work God has done in the past applied to your life. You want to be a member of his family. You want to be considered a part of his glorious inheritance. And you want to have his spirit in you and have the ability and the power to live a life that is pleasing to him. If that's you this morning, if you want these things, I have good news for you. Scripture is clear. That if you would turn from going at life on your own and would give your life over to the Lord, if you would would turn from your sinfulness and express your need of him, if you would trust in Christ alone for your salvation, God tells us in his word, he will forgive us of all our sin and cleanse us from every unrighteousness. The blessings to be had in Christ can be yours today if you would make Christ your Lord. If you've never made that decision, I pray you would right now today before you leave here. Let's pray.